I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set my station up slightly off-centered. That's going to drive the OCDs in the house completely nuts. I'm the chief of those guys, usually. Uh, for those of you guys who are new with us this morning, my name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Or as my wife likes to say, she, she says, Adam, you're the, you're the captain of the shrimp boat. And um, so that's me. And if you're with us this morning, we are um, we're in the second week of a, of a series that's going to go... I don't know how long it's going to go. I tried to get out of your way, Doug, and you sat right in front of me. Here you go. I'm just trying to be conscientious of you. All right, here we go. Now that's better. Now I'm back to the middle, and everyone who has OCD can breathe a sigh of relief. Yeah, we're in uh, week number two of a series that Ray kicked off last week. And Man, wasn't Ray's message good last week? It was ridiculously good. Um, if, you didn't, if you weren't here with us last week for Ray's message, you really do need to go online and... Uh, and download that thing and listen to it. It was such a good word. It really, really set me up. But we're going to be um, we're going to be talking for the next several weeks about living the good life. And uh, you can leave it there, Seth. We're going to be talking about uh, living the good life. And uh, one of the things about us, if you've been here at the Vineyard for any period of time, you already know this. But for the for the sake of some of the new people, uh, the, the thing that we're about here at the Vineyard is is we're about the gospel of the kingdom of God. We've got a little banner over there for it. We're, we're, about, we're about seeing the gospel of the kingdom of God break out among us. It's the good news that God's rule and reign is with us today. And we're about, that's, that's our central core. That's our, that's our central message. It's the, truthfully, it's our only message. It's the, it's the thing that we talk about uh, coming and going. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at how we can live the good life and how we can live it today. See, here's the deal. A lot of us in the room have grown up thinking that all of the benefits of the gospel, all the benefits, all of the good news of the kingdom of God, all of the benefits that Jesus came to bring, a lot of us grew up thinking that those benefits, you could only grab those benefits, you could only be a beneficiary of what Jesus came to do after you died. It's like, it's like yeah, it's good news, but you don't get to see the good news, you don't get to touch the good news, you don't get to feel the good news, you don't get to know the good news until you die and go to heaven. And most of us have grown up with a theology that was constructed in, sort of, in a sort of way that puts us only looking into the future for what Jesus actually meant to affect us today. Okay? See, how, how is it that the good news becomes better news? See, it becomes better news when you find out that what you thought was for the future. It, it becomes better news when you find out that what you thought was for after you died and went to heaven. It becomes better news when you find out that heaven's breaking into today. And so that's the basis of the good life. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10. He said this, he says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. You can write this one down, it's so good. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Who here would like to have life? Who here would like to have full life? That's what I'm talking about. Full life. I'm talking about the kind of pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing life. See, here's the deal, and I want us to look at this before we move on, because this is not our main passage today. Where does shaken down, pressed together, overflowing, running, abundant, full life come from? Jesus. It's the only place. You'll, you'll find it in him. Everyone else, Jesus says at the beginning of John chapter 10, everybody else is a robber and a thief. I've come to have, that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about for the next couple of weeks, how can we live the good life? This is what I want to tell you. That the kingdom of God, the benefits of the kingdom of God, they're not just stuck after death. They're not just stuck in the future. And they're not just stuck in heaven. But they're here and they're, and they're for us today. Not only, not only is that a reality, but the good life of the kingdom is actually what's best for you. It, it's what's best for you. The kingdom of God... God's rule and reign is what's best for you. And that's what we want to look at. How can we live the good life? How can we live the full life? How can we have what's best for us? I want to look at one other scripture before we get into the heart of where we're going to be this morning. I want to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says this. 
And he's saying this to you and me this morning. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Anybody in the room this morning weary? Yeah. Anybody in the room this morning got a burden or two? Anybody in the room needs some rest? And I'm not talking about more sleep, but I'm talking about a fatigued soul. I'm telling you, when you're 18, you don't even know what a fatigued soul is. I turned 31, I got a bunch of gray beard hairs, and I got gray hair popping out everywhere, and I've become acquainted with what a fatigued soul is. Yeah, who in here needs, who in here would like to have some rest from their weariness, some rest from their burdens, and some rest for their souls? Yeah, see... Where is it found? Again, where is that found? It's found from gentle and humble Jesus. And I want to tell you that that is the good life. What is the good life? Let me just tell you what the good life is. The good life is rest for your soul. The good life is, is rest from weariness and burdens. And by the way, when Jesus is saying this, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about the future. He's talking about today. Amen? All right, let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Because over the next couple weeks, and I hope some of you got my email on Facebook, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Because here's what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' instruction to his disciples on how to live the good life. It's Matthew chapter 5, it's Matthew chapter 6, and it's Matthew chapter 7. And so you can read ahead in the coming weeks. We're going to just, we're just going to begin to scratch Matthew chapter 5 this week. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 again next week. And, um, and one of the things that we're going to find over the next few weeks and over, the, over these next few chapters is one simple thing. The whole time you're reading, I want you to keep this in mind. Jesus is preaching and he's teaching and he's talking to me about how to live the good life. And he's talking about now. Okay? So when you read over the next couple weeks and it's Jesus talking to the crowds, I want you to close your eyes before you start reading and I want you to imagine the hillside and I want you to imagine that you're right there on the hillside, that you're right there next to Peter and you're right between John and you're listening to Jesus because when Jesus is talking over the next few weeks and you're reading in the scripture, he's talking to you and he's talking to me and he's talking about today. All right? It just helps so much. All right, let's read some scripture. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's just pray for a second. That'd be all right. Father, help us this morning. God, help us, help us to break out of the familiarity that surrounds this passage. God, help us uh, to break free from the notion that we already know this passage. Uh, God, would you, would you help us to look upon this passage with a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh pair of ears, and mostly, God, would you help us encounter your word this morning with a fresh heart? Father, would you give us the heart of a novice this morning? In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Amen. Did you guys see the good news in, in the passage this morning? The good news? Here's the good news. The good news this morning is that the poor, are, the poor in spirit are blessed. Those who mourn are blessed. The meek are blessed. It's good news because those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. The merciful are blessed. The pure in heart are blessed. The peacemakers are blessed. And even the persecuted are blessed. It's good news. 
It's really good news. And before we begin uh, and, and head on into the scripture much more, I want to say this. One of the things that we need to understand is when Jesus begins talking in Matthew chapter 5 here, he's resetting the mechanism, okay? Jesus always does this when he teaches. Jesus takes, Jesus will, just because of who he is, he just has this magnetic personality. He's got people coming to him. And uh, so he'll, he'll grab a crowd. And when he begins to teach the crowd, he will always work off of their assumptions about how life is. And then he will, he will almost always flip their assumptions about how the way life works all right upside down and, and tell them the exact opposite. There's something about Jesus. He says, oh yeah, you thought this? I'm going to flip it right upside down. He says, yeah, you want to live? Well, to live in my kingdom, you got to die. He says, he says things like this. He says, you want to be first? Well, you got to be last, and the last are first. It's an upside down kingdom. So when we begin to look at Matthew chapter 5, one of the things that we need to realize is, is that Jesus is upsetting the apple cart. He's resetting the mechanism. If you're familiar with computers, he's, he's literally doing the control art, the leap keystroke pattern and he's he's rebooting everything and he's 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 just totally destroying assumptions and mindsets and worldviews and he's doing it at the very beginning here's what i want you to do while you have your bibles open to matthew chapter 5 we don't have a slide for this but i just want you to look so you can so that you can realize to the extent that jesus is really really resetting the mechanism look at verse 21 okay verse 21 jesus says he says You have heard it said to people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, what's that? That's the prevailing worldview. He says, you've heard it said that do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Verse 22, but I tell you, but I tell you, what's Jesus doing? He's resetting the mechanism. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Look at verse 27. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery prevailing worldview verse 28 but i tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart verse 31 it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce prevailing worldview jesus is resetting the mechanism but i tell you anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress 33 Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. That's the prevailing worldview. Resetting the mechanism in verse 34. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Verse 38, you have heard it said. Verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. Verse 44, Reset the mechanism. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Do we see a pattern developing over the, over the course of chapter 5 there? Here's what I'd like to suggest to you. I'd like to suggest that the pattern that we see later in, the, in, in, in chapter 5 of Matthew is something that he actually starts with in verse 1. When Jesus begins to teach them and when he begins to give his list of blessings, he's actually already beginning to upset the apple cart. He's actually already beginning to, to, to deal with the prevailing worldviews of who is blessed and who is not. And he starts with this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And here's what I want to tell you about the being poor in spirit. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, He's talking about more than humility. A lot of times when, when we look at these passages or if you read, if you read Bible scholars or if you get out your, you get out your Bible dictionary or your, or your commentary, they'll, they'll talk about poor in spirit in terms of humility. Jesus is talking about more, more than just humility. He's talking about the kind of person who's utterly spiritually bankrupt. Okay? He's talking about a person who's utterly broken, who has no glitz, no glamour, no religious clout. If, you, if we were to call on them in the, in the congregation and ask them to pray, they wouldn't even know what to pray. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's talking about, he's talking about the, the kind of person who doesn't even know what it is to be religious. He's talking about like the most common man and woman that there is anywhere. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And let me drive this home. How many of you guys have ever been, how many of y'all have ever been to the state fair? Quite a collection of people at the state fair. If you ever want to feel good about yourself, just go to the state fair. I, I, I have found, 
I have found, like, like I can feel, I, I can sometimes be like, man, I don't know, honey, I don't know if we're doing too good with the kids, you know. I'm telling you, 30 minutes at the state fair, and I'm like, you are, you are a beautiful woman. My kids are orderly and brilliant. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, it, I mean, if you can't make it to the state fair, just go to the county fair, you know. <laughs> When Jesus is talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, he's talking about that kind of, that kind of deal. Those people who, who just have no idea. You know what? And some of us in the room are that person, and it's okay, because it's blessing from the Lord. He's talking about the kind of person who's utterly unable to even know what the religious, what the religious world would require of them. He's not talking about just humility. He's talking about the spiritually bankrupt He's talking about the ones that are completely broken and the ones who are completely unaware. Then he goes on to say, blessed are those who mourn. And the ones who mourn, they're the, they're the broken down ones and, and they're the ones who have suffered loss. Okay? Uh, some, of you, uh, some of you in the room ha- maybe have fallen into this category. Jesus says, blessed are the ones who mourn. And he's talking about, he's talking about the people who have suffered loss. Um, I, you know, in, in my years, I've, I've met maybe, maybe the most difficult situation that I've, or the diff, most difficult heart condition or, or kind of person I've ever met in my life would, would be like a mother or father who's lost a child. That kind of mourning, it's, it's even after the crying's over, there's still something missing in the heart. Have you met some people like that? Even, even after the initial wave of grief is over, even after you've somehow managed to get your life back together and you can, and you can get out of bed and you can kind of go face the world, they just have that streak of brokenness and that streak of despair that runs through them. Have you met some people? Maybe you are that person here this morning. And maybe, maybe you haven't lost a child, but maybe, maybe you lost a job and, you, and, and losing your job, you lost your dignity and you and you couldn't provide for your family anymore and and it just and a streak of brokenness just comes into you and and Jesus is saying blessed are those who mourn when he's talking about the mourners he's talking about those people and this is really me He's talking about those people whose best, laid, whose best laid plans have ended up in the junkyard. He's talking about people whose dreams have been beaten down by reality. Then he goes on to say, blessed are the meek. Hang with me because this is all going to make sense in a minute. Then he goes on to say, blessed are the meek. And here's the deal about the meek. Somehow they're going to inherit the earth. This is the blessing of the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. And, and who are the meek? The meek, the meek are the shy ones. The meek are the shy ones. The meek are the, are the ones who have an idea, but it never finds its way to their voice. The, the meek are the wallflowers, and, and the, meek, the meek are the ones who are always deferential. The, the meek are the ones who, who suffer from chronic, if we can put it in, in Dr. Field terms, chronic low self-esteem. It's not that, it's just that they can't get the breakthrough. They're, they're not the flashy ones. They don't, they don't, they're not the ones who are verbose and right on the, out, on the outside edge. And here's the thing that I love about this. Jesus says, the meek, if you're meek, you're blessed. And not only that, but you're going to inherit the earth. And, it, and it's, the, it's the exact opposite of the way that we feel like, th- uh, the, we, the way people get ahead in, in, in these days and inherit the earth. Think about this. For, for most of us, when we think about who's going to inherit the earth or who's going to get the stuff, if we can put it that way, when we begin to think along those lines, we think, we think about the Wall Street power suit Donald Trump types, don't we? And we think, well, who, who's got the or who's got the stuff right now? And it's the Wall Street power suit types. And Jesus is saying, well, blessed are the meek, blessed are the shy wallflower, backseat idea people who never have a voice, who voices whose voices are never put on stage, and somehow they're going to end up inheriting the earth. Now I want to begin to bring this together a little bit for us. Because we can work our way down through the list, and we kind of will. But here's where the good news is. When Jesus is passing out his blessings here in the first verses, he's not, he's not so much laying out heart conditions that we should try to attain. I want you to hear this now, because this is really, 
This is going to upset the apple cart for a lot of us. He's not so much, he's not so much outlining heart conditions that we should try to attain as he is, as he is highlighting the kind of people that the kingdom includes. Okay? Here's the deal, because most of us have grown up with, with, this re, with this reality in our mind when we come to this, with, when we come to this scripture. We come to the scripture, this, this particular passage, the Beatitudes, and we come to it, and, and the math has, has traditionally worked like this. If you want to be blessed, then you need to be poor in spirit. If you want to be blessed, then we've got to figure out some way to mourn. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't want to mourn. Okay? If you want to be blessed, then you need to be meek. If you want to be blessed, then you need to be a peacemaker. You need to be pure in heart. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And if you want to be really blessed, then you need to be persecuted. Go out and find a way to be persecuted. Anybody in here want to be persecuted? How many, how many of us think that what Jesus is saying is, if you want to live the blessed life, be persecuted, find a way to mourn? He's not saying that. He's not highlighting heart conditions to be attained so much as he is saying, these are the kind of people that the kingdom includes. This is a really good word. He's highlighting the kind of people that the kingdom includes. He's highlighting those that society has most often overlooked and marginalized. And he's saying those kinds of people are the ones who are central to the move of God in the earth. The weak, the lowly, the humble, the meek, the poor. These are welcomed in the kingdom of God. The weak, the poor, the humble, the lowly. These are welcomed in the kingdom of God. Can I tell you something? That's good news. Because that's me. It gets better though. It actually gets considerably better. Yeah, Jesus isn't saying that the blessed life comes from being poor in spirit. He's saying that being poor in spirit, he's saying that being spiritually bankrupt can't keep you from living the blessed life. He's not saying that to be blessed, you have to be spiritually bankrupt. He's saying that being a spiritually bankrupt, clueless person can't keep you from living the blessed life of the kingdom. That's good news. And Jesus isn't saying that in order to be blessed, you have to mourn. He's saying that those who mourn can, experiencing the, can experience the blessing of the kingdom right now. See, in the room, this, even in the room right now, I know that there are people who have that streak and that stain of brokenness in them that comes from disappointment and, and comes because life doesn't always work out. And it ends up, it ends up, Giving, giving people a mourning spirit. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's, saying. he's saying, he's not saying that in order to be blessed or to live the blessed life, you have to mourn. He's saying that while you mourn, e- even in your disappointment and even in your brokenness, you can experience the kingdom blessing of comfort. It's so, it's good news. Jesus is controlling, he's pressing control, alt, delete. Resetting the mechanism. Uh, let's go back to high school for a second. Can we do that? <laughs> Ray said his face is breaking out. <laughs> My armpits are sweating. Um, now let's go back to high school for a second. Because um, I want to give us a picture of what Jesus is doing here. Do, do any of us in the room, uh, are, are, are we familiar with this term? Who's familiar with the term gerrymandering? Anybody know what I'm talking about when I talk about gerrymandering? Y'all, y'all remember this from, from, you should have learned this in high school political science, okay? And if you didn't, then you were, you were not paying attention and you shouldn't have made it out of high school. <laughs> Anybody know what gerrymandering is? All right, hey, let's put it up. We got a picture here. Here you go. This is the famous picture. All right. Gerrymandering is when, is when, this is what typically happens. This is the classic case. In gerrymandering, uh, this happens when there's an election, okay? And so political parties, these are voting districts, okay? Political parties will like to, would like to divide up the voting districts in such a way that, that, the, that, that, that the, the, the people who are in that district are the people who would most naturally vote for them. So they're dividing out 
They're dividing out the people who wouldn't vote for them so that they can get elected. They're trying to divide out their opponent. Do we understand that? So there was this guy, and his last name was, it was Jerry, and literally he, he realigned the, the voting districts just like this, and it ended up looking like a dragon, and one of the guys in the newspaper says it looks like a salamander, and the guy's last name was Jerry, and they called it gerrymandering. And here's what I want to tell you, is that Jesus has gerrymandered the kingdom. He's redrawn, the, he's redrawn the boundary lines, and, and this is what the Lord's done. He's done it in the exact opposite way, which is always Jesus' way. He's turned it right upside down. He's done it in the exact opposite way that, that, that people and, and those who, 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 who are trying to grab political power would do it. See, in, in classic uh, human, uh, modern-day America cases of gerrymandering, the political, the political pundit, he tries to draw the boundary lines in such a way that he, he, can, he can accumulate power for himself. But Jesus has redrawn the boundary lines. He has, reformulated, he has reformulated the districts in such a way that everyone gets included. Can you hear this? Jesus is saying, he's saying that if you're spiritually bankrupt... If you're at the end of your rope, if you're in mourning, if, 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 you're, if you're someone who's zealous and you hunger and thirst for righteousness, good news because you're included in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, he's saying this, he's saying, if you don't even, if you don't even, if you don't even know one book of the Bible, if you couldn't even find John 3.16, good news, you're in. Let's get the picture even more. Let's look back at verse 23 in chapter 4. Because context is everything. This is how good news, the good news is. So Jesus is going down the list here, okay? I want us to, I want us to try to picture this in your mind. Jesus is on a hillside. There are thousands of people around him, okay? There are thousands of people around him. And he begins the most brilliant and unbelievable sermon that anyone has ever preached, ever. He begins by saying, blessed are the poor and Spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. And here's what I want us to understand. This, when he begins his sermon, this wasn't an isolated event. It actually is just, this is the runoff of what happened in chapter 4, starting in verse 23, okay? Jesus went through, throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's a good day. News about him spread all over Syria. Now check this out. It got so huge, a healing revival broke out that it, that it actually jumped out of Israel and went to another country. News about him spread all over Syria. And people from Syria brought to him all who were ill with various kinds of diseases. Now you can't get more like generic than that. Like any disease will stick in there. Those suffering from severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which means the ten city region around the lake, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus has, has shown up. He has demonstrated in physical reality that the kingdom of God is the best thing for you. It's better. It's so good that demons leave. It's so good that pain leaves. It's so good that various kinds of diseases get healed. It's so good that those having seizures come to back to normal. It's so good that everyone who's paralyzed gets up. A healing revival breaks out, a crowd gathers, and in response to the crowd that's gathered from the healing revival, Jesus looks out at them and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the poor in spirit? The people that he just healed. He's saying the poor in spirit, the guys I just laid my hands on. Blessing is yours, the kingdom has come to you. Who are those who are mourned? The people that Jesus has just spent the last two weeks putting his hands on. When Jesus is talking about those who mourn, he's not talking about an abstract idea of those who mourn. He's talking about the people that he just dealt with for the last two weeks. The Bible doesn't say two weeks. I just assume it would take at least two weeks to do all that. Are we getting the picture here? Jesus is pronouncing blessing, and he's not pronouncing blessing in an intellectual, 
in an intellectual sort of way. He's not pronouncing blessing in a, in a theoretical sort of way. He's pronouncing blessing on people who have actually just experienced the blessing that he came to give. So I want to talk about one thing about that. I'd like to say this, that our experience with Jesus should be the context for us when it comes to receiving instruction from him. How did it go? They had an encounter with the Lord. They had an encounter with the goodness of the kingdom of God. They had, they had, a, they had a real encounter, not an intellectual, not an assumed encounter, not a theoretical encounter. They had a real encounter with the goodness of the kingdom of God. And that encounter, that experience, became the context for their instruction. Here's what I'd like to say. I'd like to say our encounters with God become the context for what God would like to teach us. That's a really good word, I'm telling you. That's a really good word. Our encounters with God become the context for the things that Jesus would like to teach us in. Let me say it a third way. Revelation is born from experience. You don't get revelation by trying to go and get revelation. You, go, you get revelation by being around the Lord. And by the way, he's the one that sets the agenda. You get around the Lord, the next thing you know, you have an encounter with the Lord. And, exp- and, and out of that experience becomes revelation, teaching, instruction, the fabric of your life, the the, the context for, for the path that Jesus would like to lead you down. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, these, are the, these are the zealous people. These are the people... Uh, these are the people who have experienced injustice, if I could put it that way. They, they've experienced the injustice of the world, and so they cry out day and night, God, give me justice from my enemy and from my adversary. And good news. People who hunger and thirst for righteousness, people who hunger and thirst for God to come and set things right, they get filled. Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Anybody in here a peacemaker just by, your, your nature is just a peacemaker? There's a, there's a few people. Can I tell you, um, and, and if you're a peacemaker, you know this. I'm not naturally a peacemaker, but, but a, yeah, I norm, if you know me, I, I'm, I'm normally the person who creates the problem. But... But on the one occasion where I did try to be the peacemaker, there's one thing that I found about being a peacemaker. Being a peacemaker stinks because you ain't on nobody's side. And because you're on nobody's side, everybody's against you. You ever notice that? Yeah. That's the problem with being a peacemaker. It's like, it's like, it's like the cop who, who goes, you know, he comes to the house where the husband's been beating on the wife and there's domestic violence. He shows up to try to cool things down. The next thing you know, I mean, you guys have watched cops, right? Like the husband and the wife are beating on the cop. You know, he's just trying to like keep order. Yeah, blessed are the peacemakers because everybody's against you. Here's the other thing I want to say about blessed are the peacemakers. I want you to get a picture of this. Jesus is on the hillside. He's talking to the crowd who's just experienced the healing revival from him. He's pronouncing his blessing. He's encountered the peacemakers. He's laid hands on them. He's He's put his hands on them. He's talked to them. He's shared his heart with the peacemakers over the last two weeks. And so there's one level of it. But then there's this whole other level, and it's, and it's of, the, of the Son of God. And he's standing before the crowd, and he says, blessed are the peacemakers because they'll be called sons of God. And so here it is. It's, it's Jesus. It, it's Jesus, the, the ultimate peacemaker between God and man. And he says, they'll be called sons of God. It, it's, it's somewhat autobiographical. And then he goes on to say, blessed are those who are perse- persecuted 
because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, Jesus is not saying in order to live the blessed life, you have to go out and get persecuted. What he's saying is, in times where you are persecuted, you can experience the good life of the kingdom. See, the good life of the kingdom cuts across every boundary. It cuts across every social division, every divide, every life experience. You can be at highest heights or you can be at lowest lows and you can experience the goodness of the kingdom. Um, let, me, let, me, let me say this. When my wife and I were first married, this is kind of a silly example, but when my wife and I were first married, um, we, were, we were poor. We didn't, we didn't have... We didn't have much money. I, I, remember, um, I remember that our grocery budget each week was $30, okay? And a $30 a week grocery budget is pretty cool on Monday, but by the time Friday rolls around, it stinks, you know? It's like on Monday when we got our $30 worth sitting there on, on the one bag, you know, it's all right. But by, by the time Friday rolls around, here's the deal. Heather and I, in those days where we didn't have much money and we had $30 grocery allowance for the week and by the time Friday rolled around I was not happy or excited about what was left in the house to eat in those days we encountered the goodness of the kingdom of God we lived the blessed life even in those days even when we like we have way more now I mean the Lord's just really touched my life I don't even know how to describe it I barely did anything he just got behind me and pushed and, um, and so we have a great big house, and now, now the, the weekly uh, grocery budgets, it's ridiculous. I, I don't even understand how we try to feed our kids. We just keep throwing money at it, you know. And, but here's the deal. Even in those days where we had very little, we experienced the blessed life. And it comes from being in his presence. Even in persecution, Jesus isn't saying that in order to live the blessed life, you have to be persecuted. He says, even in persecution, even in bad times, you can experience the blessed life. I want to tell you about a guy who was persecuted. This guy rocks my heart. His name was, uh, his name was John Huss. You can, you can put it up there. Doesn't he look awesome? <laughs> Exciting dude. This guy's a hero. I'm telling you, this guy is a hero. Okay, John Huss. I'll just give you the, the, the lowdown. At this time, the Catholic Church is selling indulgences and uh, they're basically telling people that the only people who are part of the church are the clergy. And so John Huss rises up and he ends up being the father of, uh, or at least a huge spark for the Reformation movement. And, um, and he begins to preach and he begins to, to call out the Catholic Church and say, you know, it's not right that you sell indulgences to people. It's not right that, that people can come and have their sins forgiven if they give you some money. That's what was going on. And it's not right that, that you say that the only people who are, who are in, the, in, in, the, in the church are the clergy. It's not right that, that you don't count the lay people as a part of Jesus' redeemed church. It's not right that you treat people that way. And so he begins to preach this message and he becomes quite naturally popular with the people and quite naturally unpopular with the with the power there in Rome and um, and so they uh, they take John Huss and they invite him to a monastery to have a talk with some of the uh, with some of the with some of the the, the, the papal court and so uh, before he leaves home he writes his will because he knows what's going to happen most likely so he writes his will and he takes off and he shows up and he meets the guys he's supposed to meet and he meets them in December and in December, they put him under house arrest, and they, give him, uh, they put him in, under house arrest, and he's living with, uh, with basically a widow. But, you know, he's living all right, and they're, having, they're beginning to have debates, and they're beginning to get ready for his trial, and he's living there. But then, but then even more opposition breaks out against him, and they decide, we're going to throw him in the dungeon. So they take him out of the, the, out of the comfy, cozy widow's house, and they throw him in the dungeon at the monastery, and while he was in the dungeon, he stays in the dungeon from December until June, and they barely feed him, and he gets super sick, and he's alone, okay? It's a good story, right? Persecution breaks out against this guy in a severe way. By the time June rolls around, they have his trial. He says, I'll recant everything, I, I, I'll recant everything I've ever written or said if you guys can prove me wrong in the scriptures. They didn't like that, so they decided, well, we're going to burn you at the stake. And that's what they did. 
They burn them at the stake. Here's the thing we have to ask ourselves. What would it, what is it that got in a man that, that, that made him so convinced? What is it that a man could experience that would, that would cause him to be willing to leave his home, to leave his wife and his children, to go to a land that isn't his own, to live in a dungeon for six months, to not recant, to just, to, to just to look, at, to look at the powers that be and just say, everything that I've ever written or said, I don't believe it anymore, let me go, and they would have let him go. What, what could get in a man to cause him to live in a dungeon for six months, to become incredibly sick, to hold unswervingly to the convictions that, that, that have formed and shaped him? What could get a hold of a man to that extent, to the, to the point that he would even be willing to be burnt at the stake? What, what, what could get a hold of a person that, that would make them, in, 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 in the face of the most fierce opposition and persecution, what, 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 could get, what could get a hold of a person for them to remain true and hold unswervingly to their convictions? It's really simple. It's the blessed life. Even in the dungeon, John Huss found out how to live the blessed life. Even in the dungeon when he wasn't getting fed, he, was, he, he, he had grabbed onto something. He, fi- he figured out how to live the blessed life. And, and he has this powerful quote while he's, while he's on the, you can flip it, while he's, on the, while he's being burnt at the stake, literally while, while the flames are underneath him, he prophesies and he says, in a hundred years God will raise up a man whose calls for reform cannot be suppressed. You don't know who that was? Martin Luther, 102 years later, nails the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg Chapel. What, what could get on the inside of a person to the extent that they would, flames under their feet, not recant, and instead of recant, prophesy? What could get under a person? It's called the blessed life. E- even while flames were coming up around John Huss, he had entered into the blessed life. See, Jesus isn't talking about, he's not talking about markers that we have to hit in terms of performance. No, he, no, he's just gerrymandered the whole district. He's opened it up. He says everybody's in. And you can live the blessed life irregardless of your circumstances. One more thing and then I'll be done. It's the one more thing that has four things underneath it. Just I'm trying to be more honest. Here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you that the blessed life, the good life, it's positional. It's positional in nature. Uh, think about this, and then we'll look at the scriptures on one more thing. Think about this. Think about your best days that you've ever had. Think about the time when, when your soul was most unburdened. Think about the days when you really did have rest for weariness. Think about the days when, when you really, when you really, you didn't, you weren't, you weren't just happy, but you had actual joy. You see, happiness is connected to circumstances. Joy, it stands in, in irregardless of circumstances. Think about the day where you actually had joy. Everybody, everybody thinking about those seasons of our life, where the best seasons of our life? How many of us can connect that to, to our walk with the Lord? See, my best days have not been when things have been going good or bad on the outside. My best days have all been in position to whether or not I was going toward the Lord or away from Him. Anybody, everybody, can, can everybody get with that? I mean, I, I think if you meditate on this a little bit, you, this is, you'll find this thread in your life. If you go and you look through your life, best days are always the ones where you have your face and your heart humbly turned toward the Lord. Worst days are always the ones where you have stiffened up and you've turned your back on the Lord, irregardless of what's going on in your circumstances. And this is the key, because living the blessed life is positional. I want you to go back and look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus has just healed the sick. Healing and revival broke out. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. And so this is what I'd like to say. That um, the blessed life of the kingdom is for disciples. 
The blessed life of the kingdom is for disciples. And the first step in living the good life is to come to Jesus. And when I'm talking about coming to Jesus, I'm not talking about the thing you did one time back in 1978. I'm talking about a lifestyle of coming to Jesus. Why did, teach, why did Jesus teach them? Why, why did he pronounce his blessing over them? Why, why, did, he, why did he redraw the boundaries over, of life and say, these are, the, these are blessed people? He did it because they came to him. It was those who came to Jesus who heard his message and were able to, to live in that reality. Can we see that? It's positional. They went up on the mountainside. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, coming to Jesus isn't, the, isn't, isn't something that you do once in your life. It's an actual lifestyle that... that uh, that shapes the disciple. And here's what I want to tell you. The difference between the crowd and the disciple is this. The crowd is, is, is the group of people who come to Jesus one time. The disciple is the person who continually comes to the Lord day after day, year after year. You want to break out of the crowd, you just continually come to the Lord. And it's coming to the Lord that puts us in a position to live the blessed life. Let me say it this way. Coming to Jesus is the wisdom that a person has to recognize that Jesus is the real master. Here's one of the things that, that hinders us in living the blessed life. See, here's the deal. We have, especially here, uh, here in Kentucky, we have it so good. Um, we have unlimited options when it comes to who we can go to. So we can, we can go to friends. We can go to mom. We can go to dad. We can turn on the TV, and if all those people turn their backs on us, we can get our checkbook out, and we can pay for professional help. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm not saying that, that family and friends are bad. I'm not saying that TV's bad. I'm not even saying that professional help is bad. I'm just saying that when you have, when you have a symphony of choices, oftentimes we will exclude the one that actually can change your life the most. Living the blessed life is really about being a disciple it's about following Jesus up onto the mountainside. It's about saying, it's about saying that I will, I will train my heart to come to him in every situation. So how do we come to Jesus? It, it's pretty simple. It's really, it's really on the inside. It, it's really simple. It's saying, it, it, it's about developing a heart that says, irregardless of my situation, irregardless of where I'm at or where I'm not at, irregardless of disappointment, irregardless of approval, irregardless of if things are good or if things are bad, I'm going to train my heart to come to Jesus. And you can, you can come to Jesus in a, in a hundred ways. I mean, you can come to Jesus in a thousand ways. I mean, one of the things that, that I've just done in history is while I'm in the shower, I mean, that's when I come to Jesus. I come to Jesus about twice a day, you know, at least. And, and it has an added benefit of getting clean. Yeah, but I, just, I get in the shower and I just start my morning. I just start it like this almost every morning. Man, Lord, I love you. I just, I just need you and I love you. Would you come and be with me? And I've trained myself to begin to turn my heart to the Lord at the beginning of every day. And literally, I'm sitting there under the hot water and I've trained my spirit to be aware of when his presence responds to my request. This is just really huge, okay? You invite the Lord into your life, he will come, all right? And here's the deal. This is what I've also found. When you're inviting the Lord, now this is just what I do. You can do it in a hundred ways. I'm in the shower. Lord, I love you. I need you. I just, I want to be with you today. What's up, Jesus? I'm just kind of there. I'm waiting. I'm waiting even before I get the shampoo out. I'm just waiting to, to be able to respond to the, to the presence. Presence begins to show up. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, he will begin to lay out an agenda for the day. And, and oftentimes the agenda is really simple. It's like, call this guy. You know what I do? I just call the guy. And, and the next thing you know, you, you, it's a total divine appointment. Ministry's opened up and we're doing stuff. Or, or, you know, bless your wife. Go buy her something. So I go do it. This is what it's like to, to begin to live life in, a, in a, the fashion where we can come to him and share life with him. All right? Here's the other thing I want to say. So this will sound super religious here at the Vineyard, but it just has to be said. 
One of the other ways that we come to Jesus is just by opening up that thing called the Bible and reading it. I know, I mean, it's really unpopular. Here's what I promise. I promise that in the next few weeks, if you begin to open up Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you will meet the Lord every day that you do. And by the end of it, by the time we're done with this little series on how to live the good life, by the end of it, you will develop a pattern and and you will train your heart in such a way that if you don't open up the scriptures, you start getting weird. I I don't know about you guys. This is what I've done. I've trained myself to, to love the scriptures and in doing so, if I have two days, if I go, to, Ray and I have talked about this, on the times that we go two or three days without being in the scripture, I start getting weird. This happened to me literally this week. We were really busy last weekend. The worship team and I, we went to Nashville and we played some shows. So we were gone Friday and Saturday and Sunday was a train wreck. I mean, we were in here, but then I don't even know what happened. I was so tired, I couldn't even think. And so I didn't, I didn't even meet the Lord in the scriptures at all. I didn't meet him on Friday, I didn't meet him on Saturday, and I didn't meet him on Sunday. Did I have chances? Yeah, I did, but I just didn't take them. We, I thought I was busy. And so by Monday, I'm feeling totally bonkers. And it's like 11 o'clock and I'm, I'm, I'm psycho, and I'm going, what is right with me? And then it occurs to me, the Holy Spirit speaks to me because he's so good. He's like, yeah, you just haven't met me in the last three days. And I go, oh, it's so true. I just haven't even met you. I start getting weird. How do we meet the Lord? One, one way is just to turn our heart to him in life. And another way is just like, it's the same Lord who's always there for everybody at all times. And you just meet him in the scripture. You don't have to go far. You just read three or four verses. Meditate on it. Put it in your heart. Stuff comes out. Amen. Amen. Living the blessed life isn't a matter of you trying to perform to this certain level. It's not a matter of you trying to, to hit marks that Jesus is, is holding out and yanking above you. It's, it's, it's better news than that. The blessed life comes from just being around him. The blessed life is the life of, of a disciple. Amen? Amen. If you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thanks, Lord.